Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Miss Sabrina Sullivan. How are you doing, Sabrina? I'm good. Yourself? I am so good. I'm really excited. You know, you and I met again, the small town, the Calgary conspires, one degree of separation. Someone's like, you know, you need to talk to I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think I do. That sounds fantastic. You're, I'm looking at your LinkedIn because I'm a professional creeper, strategist, futurist, which is the one I really like, uh, innovator, facilitator. So maybe let's start at the top. Tell us a little bit about what, you know, what fills up your days and then let's get dive into this whole futurist concept. I'm really quite excited to chat with you about this. Yeah, other other than like my constant search to be like a professional human being, so just also living a life of having family, um, I balance a lot of things because I suffer from some serious FOMO. And I think that that's where a lot of this comes is like I have eclectic interests and I love to know something about everything and enough to be dangerous. So <laughs> so part of my time is spent actually with SATE uh, as a digital transformation an ecosystem director. Um, and so we're looking across all of the schools and like digital as a thread across and how do we start to um, sort of evolve, enhance, sort of build on or create new and differentiated experiences for students that are really valued in the market but are suited to this sort of, not just the now, but the near and the far of what these students are gonna have to fill in terms of the future of work um, and matching the future of learning to that. And so it's really exciting because of seats sort of push and ambition around that. And then um, I I was not ready to leave some of my posts as a futurist. And so I play a couple side hustles, one of which being supporting Ford Motor Company and therefore trends and futuring team. And so I had served in a full-time capacity in that, but now I advise and play in certain projects um, as a futurist, an in-house corporate futurist for those sort of teams. And sometimes it's being a facilitator of that conversation and the thinking um but where i say it's a side hustle it's it's the it's the flavor now if we look mm, back to okay. like a couple of years yep. ago where um everyone's recognizing they're still building out their design thinking ux sort of this user-centric models in companies when COVID hit sort of like significant drops and oil prices hit everyone went what did i miss and in a lot of cases, like this becomes the time where 
us who play in this world of strategic foresight, um, scenario planning, futuring, it's like our time. So I continue to get more calls from HelloFresh, from Shopify, from other companies, especially Canadian companies that are going like, what do we need to do to build out some of this long-term thinking to couple with our near-term decision-making? Wow, that was an excellent, well, 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 um, well broken down. So curious, uh, is this the realm of typically larger organizations or as in, is, is it getting normalized a little bit across the board where, you know, smaller companies, it feels like just in, it, it, it's reserved in the realm of large, big enterprise level companies that kind of have the time bandwidth, but also kind of the shareholder responsibility to be planning that five to 10 years out where small to medium sized business, oftentimes we're chasing the next quarter or sometimes we're chasing the sales at the end of that month. And we don't do that planning in the same way. I'm being general for sure, but for yourself, has that typically been true? And is that, is that shifting at all? I would say like it, it definitely spun out of large organizations. Okay. So like 40 plus years ago, it came out of military, this sort of scenario planning and really these, these tools that came out of it and then shell and those sort of things. But I actually think it's, it's sometimes more difficult in these larger organizations. Okay. It's exciting, but you have to then shift mindsets across the entire organization and figure out where you play. Whereas hmm. when I look and talk to some of these smaller, medium sized businesses, Yes, you're chasing down that next quarter, but inherently you're able to pivot a lot more. So you're you're looking to those alternate futures because you're looking for those opportunities. So I think inherently small and medium-sized businesses are actually poised to sort of use that muscle, whether they're going to formalize it or not, to say like, how do I create a future of choice for myself versus a future of constraint? It's harder to steer the ship with a bigger one. So I would encourage that there's simple ways that people can integrate this thinking as you're thinking as a strategic person or even operationals. Like some of these organizations where they're starting in futuring or scenario planning is in ops because we just looked at the last two years and they went, so supply chain slightly disrupted. What would the alternate futures look like and how would I build that supply chain or that operations footprint that's more resilient to multiple futures? I really appreciate it. And the, the perspective is like, if I'm a startup, especially in the tech space and I'm innovating and changing, I'm predicting that there's an intersection between my idea and when the future is often going to be ready for it. And I do appreciate that exactly. you use the word facilitation. I, I, as a leader, I've gone to workshops and seminars and came back all fired up, but yet no one was on that journey with me when I spent those two or three days in that room. If you've got a 5,000 or 10,000 person organization and the leadership or a certain tier of the organization gets really excited about a future, that's a lot of, um, you got to share a lot of your vision to get people to come along because that's just you spent the time getting excited about it. You spent the time doing the working in the room with someone like yourself. The big heavy lifting is how do you get everybody on board with your idea when they weren't there as the idea was being evolved? <laughs> exactly. And in, in exposing some of those assumptions, I would like to say that leadership teams are all operating, but even even when I've talked over the years, people are saying like their strategies, they're based off of different assumptions. So the exercise of doing scenario planning exposes what that preferred future actually is in their mind, because the strategy might say one thing on paper, but in reality, someone's executing to it based off of the world that they think is going to come. And so simply the exercise and the conversation around what do we view as we could call it a preferred future, an official future. What assumptions are we operating on so that we're at least aligned? And then you can explore that people are operating in different alternate futures and start to reconcile that. So let's, I have so many, I have a million questions here, but let's start with just the human factor. How, like, 
orthodoxies, um, confirmation biases. There's, we're so messy as humans and we think we're being rational and logical, but we're often not. And I'm speaking strictly about myself at this point. I'd like to think I'm very rational. I make decisions based on facts and information, but I have so many biases and so many values that I hold dear that just run in the background that I don't even realize. So you made the joke before we got on the call, but a lot of us have the muscle, but we necessarily don't know how to use it or we don't formalize it or call it this. How much of your job is just helping people to maybe reframe and I'll be blunt, get out of their own way to even be able to think this way. It's it's a lot of the job because <laughs> if we don't shift some of the mindsets or have that sort of therapy, there's no way that anything sticks or mm. there's no way that I'm going to have a successful um, conversation around like applied foresight. So you can build these sort of like perspectives. You can write something down, but if you don't have the conversation around the so what, now what, then it's not helpful, but to even get people to the table, they need to realize that there's a reason to change or a reason to consider these different futures. So when you say orthodoxies, that I call that like the gateway drug. Um, and so even before I'm doing anything else, it's let's have a conversation about orthodoxies. And we say, you know, the moment they say that, well, this is how it is, or this is how it's always been. Um, one that like creates a nervous twitch in me to have to challenge them, which no one likes to be challenged, but to say that it is a source of innovation because there's probably someone already doing it, which is a big part of futuring. It's like, who is in the fringe? So you get to kind of spend it in those like fringe areas that people are like, why are you on K-pop websites, Sabrina? But there's <laughs> there's reasons for it because you're trying to create sort of like information from these signals and the noise but the orthodoxies, if they recognize it's a source of innovation, that if you don't disrupt it or consider flipping those, someone else likely will. Mm. And so if you're using that as a rule book and recognizing that there are some, I call them like receiving blanket orthodoxies, that like not everyone's going to flip everything because it's what it's what's gotten people to the succeed to this point. So it's very hard to let go of it. So whether it's like, if you've got kids, you think of it as a receiving blanket, pacifier, very hard to kick that sort of addiction <laughs> um, because it got you to sleep in the past. But there's sort of a new world. And so there, I regularly do hours just to explore orthodoxies. And there's one in flight right now that we've got with Ford. And we've spent sort of like separate sessions each month to help people train to think about orthodoxies and why they might be making the decisions and what's influencing their behavior in these sort of unwritten rules that have been made. Sounds like an incredible amount of self-awareness for, for some of us we love and some of us are scary. And I think it really depends on the level of like it, we, you love it until it's something you really were blind to like that joke about, well, I'm, I know my shadow. I'm like, well, if you know it, it's not your shadow any longer, is it? <laughs> it's hard to call exactly. it that. Exactly. So a bit of a crash course. If I'm, do I go out and just start looking at K-pop? I mean, we're going to use that as your universal example of a fringe because that would be a fringe for me. You can search my browser history. I swear it's not in there uh, yet yeah. until later today. But what what lens do I search with? Because just consuming, I can go on Al Jazeera. I can go on other news sources from around the world to see the way. But is there a certain set of filters or is there a way that I look at that versus just getting like letting a whole bunch of information flood in without being able to organize it, categorize it, or look at it critically? Or is there a certain set of filters that when I go outside of my quote unquote comfort zone, call it that for fun, or what I believe to be the way it is, how do I make that valuable to me and not just noise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and K-pop, like <laughs> after spending years doing this, I like kind of 
I don't know how to describe how I go about it. Okay. Everyone asks, is like, how do you find this stuff so quickly? How are you able to make those connections? But like the first step is really just like not doing your work with a closed door. I don't remember the name of the mathematician, but he talks about, he's like, you don't know the problem that you're truly solving for. You might be solving the wrong problem. If you do all of your work, it might be really productive, really efficient, but if you keep the door closed, you might be answering the wrong problem. And so just keeping it a little bit open so that you're looking past sort of your normal channel of information, that's the first place to start. Um, and asking questions, inherently anyone with this muscle, and that's why it's like everyone has this muscle, is leaning into that curiosity, not being like, this is absurd. Um, we know if we do any sort of mind mapping that this leads to this, it's like the free association. Letting yourself wander is that first thing. So like keeping your door open, and then in any topic, like there are frameworks that you can start to use. So I always just encourage people, if you're exploring a topic, make sure that you've covered off the steep category. Some people call it pestle, but it's like based off of this topic, what are some trends tied to it that are in the social realm? So anything from demographics, behaviors, those sort of things. And then you go to technology. How is technology tied to it? What's happening now and sort of in the future? Economics, you start to look at sort of like how is business, money, whatever flow it, tied to this, um, environmental, and then political. And so at least you start to round out what you're looking at. You've covered off some of those bases and, and inherently challenge yourself to think a little bit broader on that. Um, and then the third step would be like, once you have that, look at it and be like, what is stuff that I've, like, I already know. If you've got most things and they're like, if you talk to someone, they'd be like, yeah, well, duh. <laughs> like, that's a given push yourself a little bit further um, and pushing yourself a little bit further often says for every trend, there is a counter trend. Mm. So what would be the opposite of that? There was one time that I was asked to look at the future of family. And so for me, I just said, okay, like there would probably be like, okay, well, like multi-generational families, the nuclear family, those sort of things. There's still a trajectory on that. I said, what's the complete opposite of that? And it would start to look at, there were, there were programs and softwares about people who wanted to be parents, but they never met each other. Like it was like you were signing up the, the Tinder and I'm going to butcher this for what it is, but it was like the Tinder for signing up and making a new friend that you're going to have a kid with. But it was completely platonic friendship ma matching with the outcome of having a child together. And so when you think of like, what's the opposite? It's that flipping the orthodoxy of like, this is what's happening, but what could be the exact opposite? And so you go down some of those avenues and it takes time, but just dedicating yourself to thinking across the steep categories, at least broadens your sort of frame of reference. I appreciate that. What a, curiosity without like prejudgment, because it's so easy. And, and But I would almost say, listening to what you, where I do feel the pushback is probably where there's a landmine that I've like, oh, that could never be, or, you know, or, or it actually threatens my own belief structure. And it's amazing how, oh, exactly. how defensive we get when we feel vulnerable in that way. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and <laughs> I can't remember, is it Stuart, Stuart Brand? Um, so he says, like, the present moment used to be the unimaginable future. <laughs> so I always like to ask the question when we're starting, just to have people realize the unimaginable, it's like, you know, theme a session back to the future, something like that. If you like, like your Marty McFly sort of <laughs> moments, but like to even ask, like, if I look in my office today or what I use as core to my life 
that was unimaginable five years ago, there's a lot of stuff that you could put on that list. And it's more than us just talking in a virtual format, not like a studio for a podcast mm -hmm. or something like that. There's so many different aspects. So it reminds you that the unimaginable is not so far off. So hmm. just keeping yourself in check on those sort of things and be like, mm. I think I was reminding myself, I was like, Facebook opened itself up to more than students in 2006. And I like, if you talk to anyone who's, you know, a teenager, you're like, oh my gosh, that was before I was born. But, you know, <laughs> uh, we'll get past you, that. You but and like, I were, but we're both born at that bit. point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, <laughs> but you like, you're reminded how quickly things are happening in the unimaginable. It's only going to be like those, those frame of references and how far you're pushing out um, is, is becoming smaller and smaller. And that's that's happening faster with shorter shorter cycles. I, I, yeah. I listen to a and TED. So you have to get people to realize it. I listened to a TED talk long a while ago, but it stuck with me. And they, it was the end of history phenomenon is the way they told it. And I haven't really done followed up on it, but it was kind of if you ask someone where they are in their life and how much they think they'll change in the next ten years, like no, no, I'm pretty good. Like I'm me, I'm arrived. But yet when you ask them how much have you changed in the last ten years, like oh my god, like I was ten years ago, I didn't even know anything. I've changed so much. But this concept of, exactly. of well, where I am is is this is where I'll be forever. And there's a lot of comfort in that until you think about it for a few minutes. Then it actually gets real scary real quick. <laughs> if is this it? Is this where I've arrived? But if from a co company perspective. Are you sworn to secrecy? And I'm not asking you to tell any secrets, but when you're talking with a company like Ford, who, you know, and I work with OEM, I work with an OEM manufacturer, the stuff they're coming to market, when it, once it hits us as a marketing initiative, they've been designing that thing for three, four, five years. New motorcycle, new scooter. We work with Honda Canada. By the time it gets to Canada, that's been long decided and long planned out. So when you think of something like building a new automobile and you think about the last two years, even the recent, like, you know, we have our, our our, we have a global, we have a war going on right now, which was maybe even something unheard of a year ago where we'd think, no, that can't happen again. How do these things affect on the long-term uh, planning for an organization like a Ford, where I think we can all get our heads wrapped around. You don't just decide to build a new vehicle and next week it's ready. Like this is a long period of time. So are you like sworn to secrecy in those because some of those crazy ideas might just actually come true? And how on the same side, how does a company like that pivot where they had models and plans and positioning strategies long in place before COVID ever ever hit, or or the price of oil went to or price of gas went to two dollars a liter in Canada, so how does that yeah. balance out for you being in those conversations, but then being inside a, a company like that that it's really hard to pivot quote unquote on a dime. So I just asked you seventeen yeah, questions at once. It definitely Serena, is. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly why like the and I. And I believe things are becoming faster, but I, like I started my journey with Ford as a graduate intern and it blew me away that I was like, okay, three to five years product development cycle from sort of like initial concept down to like running it off the line. Um, but that's where like it's critical in pre-foresight and it's why it's something that is valued across to say like we've at least considered things like we don't want to be surprised. Um and so people are exploring these trends, what's happening. And it's not at the trim level. It's talking about sort of that larger concept, strategies, how to win, where to play, where are people going on this sort of stuff. And then it trickles down the feature level. But that's because I work with really amazing people who care and know a lot more about cars than I do. <laughs> like my job <laughs> is to talk about the unknowns that exist outside of automotive. And there are thousands of people who know everything about cars. My husband is one of them. And he goes, oh, did you really... 
like I don't know enough, but that's the point of collaboration so that I start to put out those provocations and become like their personal trainer to push them into thinking through what would happen so that they then distill that into into mm, their own work. And to your second point of like, so that's pre-foresight. If you're doing foresight in flight or like futuring in flight, hopefully as part of that practice at the front end, even though you, you kind of have to say either what are the key themes across all of these disparate futures? So no one future is going to come to pass, but the elements of each will usually happen. And that's, that's usually how we hook people at Ford because I think we're on iteration five of different stories and in, in different futures. But we often show our 2015 futures, which were developed back in like 2006. And we show it and we've got everything from Trump to like Google developing a car to this like handheld device that's going to have so much power in it. <laughs> um, and, and people go, well, yeah, you knew that. It's like, no, no, no. But we're talking like 2004 to 2006. This is when this we came up with this. So it's that element of realization that the unimaginable came to pass. But as we go through that, if you're choosing a preferred future, which I would always be careful with, um, but a future that you're going to say, we're, we're going under these assumptions and this is how we're going to operate, that you've created signposts and you don't just go, we will release it to the world and not continue to think about this. So as you go through it, you go, what are some of those signposts that could really disrupt our strategy or product, those sort of things, and have a mechanism to keep an eye on that so that you know that if this is happening, you might have to consider something different or that you can at least manage it so you don't get caught on your back feet. So that's where, that's an interesting piece, which is hard to do, but that's where people are saying like, what I can have a better conversation around, here's a signpost, do I need to pause, pivot or progress in some sort of way? But you have to have that initial conversation to realize what's coming. So, so things like um, some of this division that we feel and like mm -hmm. I, I do not profess that I am in any way doing predictions. Don't have a crystal ball at all. But you can track back to many of these signals that start to form a trend that says, like, these are some of the potential outcomes. So there's this sort of, like, probable, which is more likely what you've created in your forecast. It's more sort of like, this is probabilistic. I can model it in some sort of way. But to your point, we are emotional beings, you can't guarantee that that um, CEO doesn't get like a little sort of overconfident in some of that. That's very hard to model in the behaviors that will come off of that. So that's where you start to talk about possible and plausible futures on that. And you can map out those signposts to say like, if this happens, we need to take X, Y, or Z directions. But doing that front end, it seems like a lot, but it's sometimes just a thought exercise to make sure it's in your frame of reference. Does does your team or your involvement carry more weight the more often people can look back and go, wow, she was right. I'm thinking about The Economist. You know, The Economist, the, the, the two of them that predicted the crash, and all of a sudden their popularity takes off after because they got it right that time. <laughs> not not yep. criticizing economists, but they predict the future to a certain extent. Is there a little bit, do you, like, is there kind of a scorecard or is that, am I, I know, and I'm being very, like, <laughs> down in the weeds with that question. Yeah. But I'm curious because that, like, you'd think they go back, oh, well, yeah, we predicted that in 04 to 06 and look what, what we now all think is commonplace in 2015. Mm -hmm. I, well, again, I don't ever say that I'm predicting and I think yes. it depends I, on whether word. you are yeah. an individual outside of 
um, a company because I, I really like working within companies and not working as a lone wolf or doing like I don't put out my own trend pack. I don't put out my own predictions or anything like that. Um, I would rather have people starting to feel like I was in some way helpful in, in their thinking because there's there's a lag effect because often we're talking five plus years. And so people have forgotten about whether this was something that we put in front of them or they're just like, oh, well, we weathered that storm um, in some sort of way. So I don't personally have a scorecard. I know others do, though, because their drive is to sort of put out those provocations um, and have some sort of confirmation to it. I like to live in the like the multiple futures. So I just say it could go in a bunch of different directions, but uh, maybe it's me hedging my bet. I can I can work in the fringe, but I'm not like the most risk savvy individual either. So putting myself out there, I can hedge my bets and say it could be this, it could be that, it could be this. Um, but we've considered all of the four things because when we talk scenario planning, it's usually four stories that okay. you have, and even though they always are different stories on different axes, different critical uncertainties, they tend to all center to be like growth, constraint, transformation and collapse. And so framing up like what would the world look like in those sort of factors and they're driven by like is growth based off of economic prosperity and then like terrible sort of like a lack of economic prosperity, fragmentation through like this significant global integration. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a scorecard person. One, because it usually isn't just one thing um, unless it's a certainty. Like there are some certainties we can just talk about. We know we know sort of climate is changing, temperatures are rising. We know demographics and population is growing and where it's growing. Like there are some certainties that we can start to rely on. We just say, and then what are the unknowns? And when you put those together, what's what could happen? Do you start with the certainties? Does that, does that kind of set the foundation? We always start with yeah, the certainties to ground people. Yeah. Yeah. So we can all agree that these, tr these are trends that are proven. And we, we know if we look to the future that, like you said, the temperature will rise and the demographics in Canada will get older and we'll have less younger and you'll see the whole inverted pyramid and that type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's that receiving blanket too. Like, yeah. like give me something that's not ambiguous in this world. It's like, well, we know that this is going to happen. What we don't know is how people are going to behave in that context. We like, so we have to start thinking about that. And there are all these rules of thumbs. And this is where it's like, it's not something you jump into and say like, I am, I am doing this tomorrow. That's why I say like, start with steep. You start to build that muscle find ways that you sort of break through the signals um, or bring signals from the noise. But there are like, we study generational cohorts um, and people have different takes of like how you look at, how you look at people. But I believe that in these generational cohorts, you can start to distill some of the values because of these formative events and conditions and environments that people lived in. And so the values are enduring. The behaviors and the actions depend on the context. So we can take some of those certainties, or if I look at a baby boomer, there's like still, it's a bit, you know, like peanut butter, we're, we're making generalizations, but there are some aspects of baby boomers and the values that you start to see as enduring. So if we put them in this world, how would that value potentially show up? And we can start to make some sort of 
provocations off of that. So starting with the certainties, but then looking at values. And then also, I really heard you say themes. Like, yeah, there might be four different quadrants of growth versus culture, but there's themes that will perpetrate through all. Curious your view, and I, well, I don't want to spend too much on this one because we could probably blow up the whole next two hours on it. What about governments and leadership at that level? It, I was listening to the radio this morning, and all of a sudden, defense spending is on is, is important to us because there's a war. I'm like, okay, that sounds so reactive and so ridiculous. Like, I'm not saying that those things aren't serious and need to be talked about, but if we weren't planning for that or thinking that that could happen even six months ago, that all of a sudden now it's a headline because there happens to be a war going on. That feels like that was a missed, that, that's not how to best be successful in planning for the future when you're just reacting. But governments work on short cycles from an election perspective. So curious, the, the role of a futurist and the way our governments are run and the way our countries are run. Yeah, and, and I'll be honest, I haven't spent much time in government I don't blame lately, you. I don't blame you. In the but. conversations. <laughs> but there are, like, there are folks that, look at that and so i even think i'm going to pull out the game so there's a game that some of my friends at idea couture built um around and it's called the foresight game and hmm. they built it in collaboration with the policy futures group with the government of canada that was specifically looking at the future of you know everything from future jobs those sort of things that we can start to explore so there are mechanisms to that but it goes like it goes back to some of the people and how you're going to start to manage this and so it's understanding that there's no one future and no matter how smart we are or how much data we have, we cannot predict it. Um, but how do we best imagine that so it better informs the decisions of the present? I think this is the, this is the tension that people want to be doing more of this futuring, but because things have been changing so quickly, people are like, I'm just taking a bet. Like I'm going to make a bet on this and just go with it. So I'm not sure about the decisions being made, but there are definitely those ones that you feel are a bit more knee jerk. And I would hope that there is some reflection. Yeah. And I appreciate what I happen to hear in the, in the media is, is maybe not mm -hmm. a true reflection of the level of planning and what was going on behind the scenes. But yeah, if you follow the media headlines, yeah. you get your, your head's getting jerked yeah. from left to right all over the place. Uh, talk to us a little bit about say school for advanced digital. Uh, I love ecosystem director. We all, this ecosystem such a buzzy word right now and everyone likes to talk yeah. about it, but the thought of that someone's actually directing it and being intentional about it is actually somewhat soothing actually. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about your role there. You've been there for, se for seven months. Uh, talk to me a little bit about like, like the work that's going in and that thinking around, like you said, like what's the intersection of what I'm getting educated on today versus what I'm, what skills I'm going to need even a year from now, I guess this may be a scary concept sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it taps to the futuring side of things. That was like, I was like, am I going into something else? I'd never done post-secondary other than being that student that has spent an excessive amount of <laughs> money, not just in Canada, but in the US, like we won't even talk about like the, the bank account drain that that had, but it was that element of bringing futuring. So my work in the ecosystem side of things is really like not only just connecting some of the amazing things that are happening in, in industry, the emerging ones as we're starting to diversify economic development institutions. And I'm not the only one um, on this side because like academic chairs, deans, they're already spending time on this, but there's a lot of ground to cover on this and especially to connect some of the dots. But that's where the futuring also plays in is because I get to have these conversations around what's coming next or what's affecting their world. So instead of just saying like, what skills do you need? We can start to talk about the future of learning, the future of work, 
how people want some of these folks to show up so I can bring those sort of signals back and start to bring together folks. So that's a transformation side, bring people together across the various different schools. And we can throw some of these provocations. We can just feed information. Like if it's crass, but it's like, here's your trend pack. Um, you do something with it. Or we know that most of these complex problems are not going to be solved by one single school, by one single industry. So, how are we bringing together the power of these different schools to have a conversation around how we address clean energy? Um, what's our role in sort of supporting the talent that's coming up in clean energy and making sure that we're aware of that and we're connected to that? Because it's that ecosystem effect of like, no one person can solve this problem by themselves. Otherwise, we begin paid a lot more to be able to do it. Uh, but like, how can we best understand where we can play to help manage this complex problem. And we've got a lot of assets. And so it's cool to be able to think of it from that futuring side because I didn't want to I didn't want to let that go. And that's why I still have these other side hustles. Because it's such a critical muscle to say like resilient to the future. It's it's right now. It's a similar lead time to be able to get courses developed and approved um, in some of these post-secondary institutions. So it's like similar to the product. You don't want what's rolling off the line to be irrelevant in three years. So it's trying, how do we accelerate that? But also like, how do we best get in front of it and bring people together to really work on it? Because like the future of learning alone is in complete disruption. Like talk about orthodoxies. Like you just have to list those ones and be like, oh no, we can't change that. And it's like someone who does not have those structures in place is already disrupting it. So what are you going to do about that? So things are getting faster. It's the, everyone loves to throw out the VUCA. The VUCA world is hitting every part and we are not immune to it in, in the post-secondary side. You might think you're even more susceptible based on the, well, this is the way we've always done it. The word institution implies <laughs> that we are very, you know, mm. lots of bricks, lots of mortar, and this is the way we, we do things. We have history and deep ways of, of being. And then you've got yeah. technology running around just looking to shoot holes in that. <laughs> well, and it's like lots of organizations you can look at. Um, I was listening to, I'm a super Amy Webb fan, like fangirl. She drives the Future Today's Institute. She teaches at NYU Stern. Um, she's, Sorry, what's her she's name? Like, Amy, Amy Webb? Amy Webb. Okay, I, Amy I Webb. don't know her. Um, I don't get any money from this, but she just put out a cool book. Um, <laughs> just came out Genesis Machine. It's got lots of fun Easter eggs, like AR Front. Um, but she she writes in her book from, I think it was from 2017 around, like uh, uh, listening to the signals. And she talked about, it, you don't have to be burdened by being like that hundred year institution as long as you are creating the mechanism or the innovation of ways to make sure that you're listening. And so she uses these examples of Nintendo. So if you look at Nintendo, it was like an over hundred year organization that started as like playing cards. They've always been in gaming, but they were listening to some of these signals and translations, even to the point of like playing cards from paper to plastic, like those sort of things. And people would be like, we're never going to sell another playing card because you've made it so that they're like durable. They can last forever. But those signals, whereas some of the people who were formative in like developing and leading to the world of personal computers completely missed the potential of personal computers. So they were like the people at the front end, but they weren't listening. 
And thus they missed that opportunity to be in the PC play. And they were no longer. I think it was deck. Um, I can, don't ask me the acronym, but there are those examples where you have a like if you were a long term company, it's it's not it shouldn't hit, hold you back if you've got some of these ways that you can start to listen. If you're willing to, how often do you use that as a? Because that feels like also a great receiving blanket to use your metaphor mm-hmm. or a primer for like, well, let's we all know the start, we all know the blockbuster story. There's a codex story. There's a lot of stories of companies like you should have yeah. been there. You you had it all. You can you had the control, you had the money, you had the success, but you stopped listening or you felt you knew better. Like again, I wasn't in the boardrooms, but yeah, and, and you have to use some of those examples. I'm always looking for ones other than the usual of like you know Blockbuster and Netflix, like those completely. Like yeah. you hear them so. I've often used those like in decks before. I will eyes. admit it. I'm guilty because <laughs> they're easy. It's low, well, low and, hanging and, fruit. And for many, it's relevant. Um, I just I think I've been in the world for so long that I myself roll my eyes. <laughs> I, so I'm I like I'm not going to share this where it could still be like that aha moment for someone else. But collecting those those. Um, Examples are one, but also recognizing like to Nintendo, like when I think of some of these larger organizations, and I know there's small and medium sizes, like there's an element of like, you're not going to fail tomorrow if you try it. Like if you try and build some of this muscle, like the machine is still going to keep running in some sort of way. You're just finding ways to sort of like optimize and potentially, and really like make it a little bit more anti-fragile. And so some people love or hate the word resilient, but I like still to this point, I like, it's just building a resilient strategy so that you kind of know what's happening. It's just taking that, like, what's the risks and opportunities that are presented to it? How are you going to mitigate it? It's taking it to another level because you're looking from the outside in. Um, Like this, I always say like, beware the SWOT analysis because it's a very inside out sort of perspective that you can still control I would say you got to work outside in. So you work from the sort of like worldview down to sort of the industry and the sector to yourself. And then you've got a better frame of reference than if you go, our strengths are this, our weaknesses are this. And opportunities and threats are inherently also driven by what you think you do best. So you might miss things if you take it as the first step. If I, it's exciting, but yet overwhelming, which that's the whole fun of it. Mm-hmm. What what you've got a whole bookshelf behind you that I can't see any of the titles on, but oh, I actually recognize yep. a few there maybe actually just by the color schemes. What would you recommend? Is there a read or something that someone like someone like myself, someone who's like I'm really curious about this, but I feel like it's straining me. Like, but that's good because that's the muscle, that's the workout, right? That's if you just lift the five pound weight all the time, you don't get any stronger. Any books or where would you recommend someone to go and maybe dig a little bit deeper in this if they want to if they want to train that muscle? Yeah. So. One, like I think Amy Wimbs. Yeah, I, I got that with a big star, star beside it on my page. Um, uh, and, and to dig into um, the group that she works with, the Future Today's Institute, uh, they actually just released with South by Southwest. They're like, it's it's got thud factor, digital thud factor. Um, their trend pack or their trend book. Um, and so there's, there's, you know, healthy high level. So if you have topics that you want to start to look at. And then there's like, what we I would refer to as like the Bible is the art of the long view. Like these are the folks, Peter Schwartz and, and his group that formed what became the Global Business Network, which globally was really the driving force behind scenario planning and a lot of the foresight work in, in companies across the globe. 
Art of the Long View is an old book, but it goes through the steps mm. of what you want to do, particularly when you're thinking about scenario planning and building out um, alternate futures. So that's where I kind of start, but it's like, it's going to be a good read regardless or listen, like how many people read. I buy a lot of books and then I sometimes duplicate and audible. Um, I'll be honest. And, and then this sort of like the mechanics of it. And then there are a couple like organizations I'd also encourage. So Institute for the Future, IFTF is a nonprofit based out of the Valley and they're doing really interesting things and have done it for years. Um, right now I'm really tracking like the equitable futures initiative. Hmm. So what does equitable futures really look like? And they, and they really leverage some of the crazy research that's happening and making it digestible. Um, and Jane McGonigal, who, if you're like a Ted talk lover, she talks about the power of like how gaming is not a, an issue and is exactly, um, she's driving a group online group right now called the urgent optimists. And so to help build some of that muscle, you could join this community. Anyone can join this community and start to explore. They release sort of, it's it's a scenario book club. So she and others are writing these scenarios and then they're having conversations because often you just need that way that you can start to do it. So finding people and finding ways you can challenge yourself. Those would be some of my near-term sort of views, but like there are so many other pieces but that's a, like that's no a healthy futurists a healthy are race. interested in the same thing that's the best part <laughs> um so you just talk to another one and they're like have you heard this and it's like i have not heard that so you know either who to rely to or what next rabbit hole you're going down i'm sure the rabbit holes are endless for for those who like to know a little bit of fomo i love how you say that i just want to learn a little bit about so many things that's partially why i do this podcast because i get to get these amazing little power snippets with really interesting people all doing things that are in their own you know in their own right amazing Curious, just one question. I'm kind of pivoting back a little bit, but thinking about the role at the School for Advanced Digital and, and bringing all the different schools together, because you know, SATE is it's, it's a many-headed machine. Like, and as I've got to learn it and understand all the different parts, how about the end customer, which I think is the student, but also these companies? How often do you partner with them and get into conversations? And I'm assuming that's very different. And we won't even name names, but you walk into two big you know, enterprise super majors in Calgary, they're going to have very different views of the future and how they even think about it. And curious, how much is of your role is out there also liaisoning, liaisoning, is that even a word? I'm sorry, I'm butchering it. Being the liaison between what curriculum you're creating and what that could look like versus what these organizations believe their future might be or might not be. Mm -hmm. It's, it's breaking through the noise. It's constantly azing yeah. with it. And that's where I'm saying it's like, it's, it's not just me. It's me having conversations within based off of the structures that other schools have set up. Um, and, and right now, like as of recently, we actually pulled sort of this team of catalysts like myself out of a specific school, like the school for advanced digital technology and said, digital fits across all of it. And so, that, those are the conversations. So we're always liaising and trying to understand what those futures look like. So we're not saying that in any way it is wrong, but we're trying to look at how do we create feedback mechanisms that are not just back into the school, but also out to the school. And we can start sharing across again to that sort of like playing at the intersections and being able to share that. So that's something I look forward to more sharing. Um, and I think from the very small experiments that we've had with like round tables on a particular topic, just the ability for folks that are kind of in the trenches in the same 
challenge, but they're not regularly talking to themselves. Um, many would go, it's like, well, what are you getting out of this? And I was like, well, you got to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince, princess, non-binary royalty. Like what you've got to, you've got to explore some of this and carve out that sort of time to be able to do it. So constantly liaising with these sort of folks and really looking for people who want to sign up for more than also that conversation. Like, like if, yeah, how, if how does the rubber outcomes, meet, meet the road, right? <laughs> yeah. If we want different outcomes, we need to take different approaches to it. So are you ready to sign up and do like a social contract <laughs> of, of doing something a little bit different and trying it out and we'll do our best to make it easy. Cause that's also the challenge for us. And the opportunity for us is like, how do we make this as like the user interface to be able to interact and create new and different experiments for like student experiences that are serving to the needs in the near and the far for industry. Like let's make that easier um, or at least challenge some of the orthodoxies of like, well, I need to do this, 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 this. If you aren't using orthodoxy at your dinner table, um, that's, I'm going to make orthodoxy toilet paper just so that each day the word is orthodoxy. So it's people are constantly looking at it, but I get that feedback. They're like, Oh my gosh, the dinner table has changed. And my kids are rolling their eyes. Every time goes, I identify an orthodoxy and how we operate as a family that I just wanted to throw out there. <laughs> you, you did, you did kind of preempt my next question. Um, what's future planning look like at the Sabrina Sullivan household? Is this, is, is this a thing? Do you guys plan it out? Or maybe I should ask your husband this question to get maybe the honest answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it, it's, and it's funny because it's like, it feels paralyzing, but I'm constantly having the scenario plan. So my my partner, he works for the railroad and mm. the certainty of whether he's here or somewhere else or responding or dealing with something is very minimal, the certainty. So we are constantly scenario planning when it comes to on this weekend, um, who's available, who's not can I assume that I can go to Aggie Digs or tell him to take the kids to Aggie Days on the weekend? I don't know, but we've got a couple different options. But in general, these are the common themes that we can operate <laughs> on the weekend. So it's not literal, but I think he would say exactly that. She's constantly scenario planning by asking me what's coming up. Are there any issues? What have you been challenged with? What are you excited about? And then I sort of bring that together to decide whether it's Single mom weekend, um, grandparent weekend, something in the house, something out of the house. So it, it starts to go into many different aspects of life. I appreciate that. How hard is it to not label good versus bad scenarios versus just these are these are all possibilities? Because we love to label things. We love to put them in categories. Yeah, it's and it's hard. Um, so like... And it's hard to not go a little dystopic. Like when you're telling these sort of compelling stories, um, you have to have a mix of both because when I talk about preferred futures, people think the exercise is like, I'm going to choose that future. And that's the one I want. And I was like, if you felt you had all the control to literally sort of control the universe, you're the ultimate genie from Aladdin <laughs> um, to be able to do this. But to explore that, like, we have to put dark sides on some of those. So, like, whether you're talking about the world of transformation or growth, you have to put some of that dark side into it. Mm -hmm. And the same goes when it feels a little bit more dystopic, that you talk about some of those glimmers. So, if you were going really dystopic on, on climate change and it has disrupted infrastructure, it has divided people, it has created this sort of swath of climate refugees. But what might be the positive on that? Maybe there's this level of... of 
recognition of the power of community. There's this, hmm. the sort of level of individualism starts to go away. Co countries start to collaborate more because they're realizing the pace of innovation is limited if they're trying to do. So like having the sort of balance on it, there's, it always tends to have a lean, but you kind of have to mix it between both. Not to quote the Matrix somewhere in here, but if we made it too perfect, we'd reject it, wouldn't we? <laughs> Isn't that what happened? Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's exactly, they're like, and they'll say, that's unimaginable. That will never happen. Hmm. Well, let's, let, let me double click on that. Let's unpack that. Well, I think that's a great plot, place to put a pin in it. Sabrina, so interesting. Like, I'm... I'm now thinking about what I'm not thinking about and how I can think about it more. <laughs> You're leaving my brain spinning in a few different directions. <laughs> but I've got a great little uh, reading list, which thank you so much for that. I hope the audience, uh, we'll put some links in and we'll make that easy for people to find. But if somebody wanted to engage with you or learn more or is at a large organization and go, hey, yeah, I want to be at that table with say when you guys are having these conversations about the future because we're struggling with it too. Is there, is, there, is there an easy way for people to reach out or connect with you or connect with the school? I am... Honestly, with the school, um, they can connect through any of the any of the schools, or if you've got a channel, and then find me. Um, for me, I am like you. I am the ultimate LinkedIn creeper, and I think that there are lots of opportunities. So, if people just reach out to me through LinkedIn um, and track me down, I am always open for a conversation, whether it's sort of brief and to your own understanding, we got connected quickly and then it became much more than the scheduled 20 minute conversation. But I think that's the power of, of those sort of things. So I would just encourage like anyone on LinkedIn and let's start to discover um, what value that I may be able to offer. Oh, amazing. I would encourage, I would encourage everyone to take, accept that, uh, that challenge slash slash invitation. Sabrina, it was absolutely lovely chatting with you. I look forward to chatting again. You, I got to go away and do some rewiring on my brain and then, then, then I'll circle back with you. <laughs> that was great. Anytime, anytime. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>